Crossway Church Sermon Audio. By the way, here's a dirty little soul secret about the evolution of man, that, that theory. It provides humanity with an apparently plausible way to deny the reality of God. That's why it's popular. Now, of course, we're not just seeing this now that Bill Nye has gone on TV. The world has called God's people dangerous for a very long time. And in Acts chapter 17, we find the story of Paul and Silas preaching the gospel in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a thriving, important Greek city and a loyal part of the Roman Empire in the first century. When the gospel began to take root because of their preaching, and a church sprang up there, unbelieving Jews stirred up a violent mob throughout the city, and this was their complaint from Acts chapter 17. They said this, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. You see, humanity is saying, leave us alone. Our lives are normal. You're the abnormal ones. You're the backwards, backward ones. You have everything skewed. And so they say the Christians are trying to upset the proper order of things. And, and don't do that, thank you very much. Now you see how twisted that is? Here's a message from God. The gospel. A message from the Creator. The Creator saying, here's your Savior, here's good news, this is what you need. But no, the world says, they say that's wrong, that's dangerous. They say that's upside down. They say when you preach that, you turn the whole world upside down. And so, and then they, they blamed Paul and Silas for the mob that they stirred up. And so that mob turned the city of Thessalonica upside down to put an end to these Christian preaching trouble makers. But of course, there's more to the story because we have follow-up. We have two letters from Paul and Silas and Timothy to the Thessalonian church. And those Christians, even though the world was against them, they stayed true. They stayed true. Everyone else was rejecting the gospel, but they were receiving it. They responded rightly to Jesus at the first, and they continued to respond rightly to Jesus going forward. They responded to the good news about Jesus the way everyone should respond to the good news about Jesus. And that is a reason to celebrate. Let's put it this way for the sake of simplicity. Every right response to Jesus is a reason to celebrate. Every right response to Jesus is a reason to celebrate. When you respond rightly to Jesus, that's a reason to celebrate. When your friend responds rightly or your family member that you prayed for responds rightly, when your brothers and sisters respond rightly to Jesus, that's a reason to celebrate. It's a reason to celebrate the first time someone responds rightly to Jesus, and it's a reason to celebrate the millionth time they respond rightly to Jesus. So at baptism and beyond and throughout our lives and even at the point of, of death when we hold on to our faith in the Lord Jesus and cannot be shaken, that's a reason to celebrate. 
That's a reason to celebrate. And here's why. I want to give you some reasons why. Well, because it shows God's salvation. And because difficulty can't ruin those right responses. And because word will get out about those right responses. Every right response to Jesus is a reason to celebrate. Let's take a look at that first one because it shows God's salvation. It shows God's salvation. Have you ever been thanked to the point of embarrassment? We want to build a culture of honor here at Crossway Church. We want to build a culture of encouragement and honor, and that's so much of of what's happening here. I think we've had a culture of encouragement and honor. When someone sees someone responding rightly to Jesus or an evidence of, of grace, excuse me, an evidence of grr, <laughs> an evidence of grace, we want to acknowledge that. We want to encourage that. But there are times sometimes when we're trying to build this culture, we don't get it quite right. And we can, we can do the honoring thing to the point of embarrassment, can't we? How about you? Have you ever been thanked to the point of embarrassment? You know, where you start to fidget because you know you're just not that worthy. And this person just going on and on about how how great you are. And you just know it's not true because you live with yourself every moment of the day. Well, that's sort of what's going on here. Not that this is inappropriate at all in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Because actually it's very appropriate. But there's a little bit, there's just, there's no other way to say it except that it's extravagant. There's extravagant thanksgiving going on here in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. So Paul literally goes on and on about his gratitude for the Thessalonian Christians. And the difference here is that Paul, is that Paul, or, or for Paul, it's not that the people are the primary focus of his thanksgiving. He's clearly thankful to them, but he's primarily thankful to God for them. Do you see the distinction? Thankful, for them, thankful to them, but primarily thankful to God for them. And his thanksgiving is really going to God. Let me read for you verses 2 through the first part of verse 5. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 through 5a. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly remembering or mentioning you in our prayers, remembering you before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Wow, he's, he's really expressing thanks, giving to them. Look at that. He, he gives thanks to God. Yes, we got that. He gives thanks to God always and for all of them, constantly mentioning them in prayer. And then remembering them, he goes on, he continues to extrapolate out what he means, remembering them before God. And then he's going to say why he remembers them before God. And he gives them three reasons there, and their their faith and and, and hope and love. And, And then he goes on to say that you, brothers, are loved by God. He just he's just expressing extravagant thanksgiving. 
You know, it's like Paul and Silas and Timothy are savoring an excellent meal. This news has reached their ears, and they just want to celebrate every good fruit they see in these Christians. You can tell this is not just, this is not just duty. It's not just the, uh, the, 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 the proper framework for a letter in the first century. This is flowing from their hearts. They cannot contain their gratitude for the Thessalonians. You may remember that not long ago we did a series called These Three Remain. And it was a focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter, the very last verse in that chapter, verse 13. And it's where the Bible says this, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now look at what Paul is celebrating here in the Thessalonians. Verse 3 tells us, it spells out those three things. It's remembering for God and Father your, your work of faith, the labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're savoring this and they're expositing their gratitude. They're, 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 they're laying it out. They're, 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 they're making an outline of it. And so he sees in their faith, he sees, he sees in, in their good works, he sees faith. And he sees that their faith is motivating their good works. Don't we say that all the time? That we're not saved by works, but that our works accompany genuine faith. That when we're saved by grace through faith, we'll do good works. That's what Paul sees here. He sees their good works and that their good works are an expression of their faith. Now, these works of faith could refer to manual labor or they could refer to ministerial labor. They could refer to uh, going over and giving someone a meal when a loved one passes. Or it could refer to uh, sitting down with someone who's, who's weary and praying with them and encouraging them in the Lord where you're, you're counseling them with love and faith. And so it could be things like charity of the poor, visiting the sick, or hospitality of strangers, or comfort for the oppressed, or giving help in any manner of ways. He sees, he sees faith in their good works, and he rejoices at that right response. And, he, and then he sees love in their labor for one another. And, and we're not given specifics here about those labors of love. But we know this about love, that love is, love is at its heart, at its core. Love is what? It's self-sacrificial. It's considering someone else more highly. It's laying down your life for them. We do that in many little ways, and Christ has done it in the biggest way for us, hasn't he? It's all about the good of another. And, and so for Paul, when he's talking about their labor and love, he's not just talking about a feeling that they just have affection for one another. They have affection for him and Silas and Timothy. But what he's saying is that your love is being expressed in the way you sacrifice for one another. And that is an incredible thing. And he goes on not only to talk about their their good works that come out of faith and their labors of love. But he sees their hope. And he sees their hope in steadfastness. So the fact that they're not walking away from Jesus, the fact that they're not giving up, the fact that, that when they fall into sin, they repent. And when they backslide, they turn again. That when they begin to lose uh, a passion for Christ, they stir it up. That when they become complacent, they shake themselves. You see? 
and they persevere and they take the next step in the marathon and they continue to go. And he sees in that, in that steadfastness, he sees hope in Jesus Christ. And those are reasons to celebrate and to savor and rejoice. And he's just glorying in this. And, and I can relate to this, and you probably can as well. Isn't it just sweet to hear the work of other believers doing good works and loving one another and persevering in the faith? Isn't it just sweet? Doesn't it spur you on? I love it when news like that reaches my ears from all parts of the church, from different care groups here and there. Just, just the other day, I heard about how someone had lost a loved one in the church, and, and, and two men took, took this man out to just fell, have fellowship with him and, and comfort him. I just thought, oh, praise God. Look at that ministry. Look at the faith that demonstrates. Look at the way they built him up. Look at the love. And I know that that's happening all the time. And when you hear that, doesn't that spur you on and encourage you and stir you up? How refreshing, how sweet. Now, why is it so sweet to hear these things? Because each and every one of these virtues and works points to something. It points to the salvation of God. You see, that when, when you and I do a good work to one another, flowing out of our faith in Jesus, or when you and I love one another in a self-sacrificing manner, or, or when you and I persevere, especially through difficulty, it brings glory to the saving grace of God. Because you can see that there's something strong there, holding the believer, working in the believer, and it comes out of them. And when you can see that, you say, yes. God is at work. And if God is at work there, God is at work here, and God will continue to work in us. Look again at verse 4. Look again at verse 4, because all of this points to God's love and power. And here Paul writes, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. He has chosen you. Now here's the thing. Paul, Silas, and Timothy had only spent a few weeks in Thessalonica. When they went there to preach the gospel, they'd only been there three, maybe a few more weeks when the mob was stirred up against them and they had to run out in the night because they feared for their lives. Well, you can imagine, they preach the gospel, a church springs up, now they have to leave. What's the big question on their minds? What will happen? to these new believers? What's going to happen to this little church? Because the forces of the world and the experience of human nature and the intent of the devil surely is stacked up against that fledgling group of believers. And so what they do is they're fearing for these believers. They send Timothy to get a report. And Timothy comes back and he reports to Paul and Silas what was going on in Thessalonica. And this letter is in response to what Timothy told them and how they must have rejoiced when they heard about the substance of the Thessalonians' faith. I mean, you can imagine the conversation be between Paul and Timothy. Well, Timothy, how are they doing? As soon as he comes back in the door, well, how are they? And he says, they still believe, oh, Paul, they still believe. And he says, oh, yes, oh, yes, how do you know? 
And he says, because they're, they're loving one another and they're enduring in the faith and they're, they're serving one another and they're, they're doing good works in the name of Jesus. Oh, praise God for his great salvation. I saw that violent mob with my own eyes. How is it that they stand? It's by the grace of God. How is it that you and I stand, dear friend? I think sometimes we don't appreciate this enough. It's because God has set his love and power, his saving grace on us. When God saves, it shows his love and power. And Paul and Silas and Timothy are celebrating and rejoicing. And we should take this and we should look around too. Because there's so many right responses to Jesus right here in the baptism this morning is exactly right. And this world is upside down. That's right side up. People repenting from sin, placing trust in Jesus. How about you? Have you Trusted Jesus? Have you been baptized in his name? Trust him today. Your sins will be forgiven. And you also will have the gift of eternal life. And you'll walk shoulder to shoulder with these brothers and sisters and glorify your Savior. These things should fill us with joy and delight. Shouldn't they? Let's look around. Let's rejoice and celebrate in the right responses to Jesus. Let's look at that second reason. It's, we already saw that because these right responses show God's salvation, but we ought to celebrate also because difficulty can't ruin these right responses. Difficulty can't ruin these right responses. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Keep your finger there in 1 Thessalonians. But turn with me to Acts chapter 17. And we're going to be there at verse 1 in just a moment. Acts 17 tells a story of the gospel coming to Thessalonica. This is Paul's second missionary journey. So he had gone out before with Barnabas, and they'd seen many come to Christ. This time he goes out with Silas, takes Timothy along. And this is right around 50 A.D., maybe give or take a few couple of years, not, not far off from that. And they've just come from Philippi where they had been thrown in jail and beaten with rods. But then God did an incredible saving miracle and they were rejoicing. And can you imagine what they must have been thinking as they arrived in Thessalonica? What's going to happen to them there? Now, can you imagine the trepidation? You know, walking into a city, it's like, man, I know God's great and I want to see him do great things, but what's it going to cost me this time? You know, will I be beaten? Will I be killed? Will I be imprisoned? Or will I be celebrated? What's going to happen here? What would happen to them? Let me read for you Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as, he, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. 
And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, that would be an interesting story. Why couldn't they find them? What was going on? When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason, in other words, they took bond to keep them out of jail, and the rest, they let them go. Now, Thessalonica had about 100,000 people living in close proximity. Not, not that dissimilar to the, our city of Lancaster here. I understand there's about 90,000 people living there, probably similar size. So there's a lot of people around, and if there's a mob in one part of the city, you're going to know about it pretty quickly. And that city of Thessalonica was, was a major uh, city in Greece. In fact, Philip of Macedonia hailed from there because Thessalonia or Thessalonica was in the, in the area of Macedonia. That was its region. And, and Thessalonica had a long history of both Greek and Roman gods. And through the centuries, through a long process over the centuries, Thessalonica had become loyal to the Roman invaders. It was, it was kind of like, if you can't beat them, join them. They benefited greatly from good relations to Rome and didn't see much of a future in bad relations because they had this history of revolts spanning hundreds of years that kept getting put down by the Romans. And finally, they just, they just embraced it and became cozy with the Romans. And, and in exchange, the Romans allowed them to rule themselves. And they didn't have to pay taxes to Rome. The city didn't have to pay tax to Rome. And it wasn't that far from Rome. And therefore, talk of a king other than Caesar was serious business. And by the way, that's the very argument that the Jews made in Jerusalem to get Jesus crucified. Now they're making it here saying they want another king, which they know is a sensitive button for the Thessalonians. And that's what stirred up the mob. Now, by the way, just a side note here, just to kind of encourage you with the, uh, with the credibility of the Bible, which is unsurpassed in all, in, in all of the writings of the world. Uh, scholars are amazed at, at, at little moments like this, this this point of accuracy here, because when you're reading here, it says that... Um, they took Jason and these guys before the city authorities. So not to the Roman pro, uh, procurator, but to the city authorities. Now, now, that's interesting because they know extra-biblically that Thessalonica had a council of officials and that they got to govern themselves. And so this is a historically accurate point. In fact, the, the, the words used in Greek are, are, are the same used uh, for that council. And so I think sometimes people like to try to point out contradictions in the Scripture. It's, it's good to point out once in a while just how accurate it is and how amazing it is. And so here we see a nuance in government 
being acknowledged in the book of Acts in the story and was part of the story of the persecution of the church. Now, can you imagine an entire city rising up against you? Can you imagine thousands in the streets of the city of Lancaster uh, uh, yelling about you, yelling angry words about you? You know, how would you, what if you had just become a Christian and, and this was happening to you in the city of Lancaster? What would happen to your faith? I think that would probably be occasion to revisit the decision, right? Do I really believe this? Is it worth this? This could cost me everything. So here's the question. How would those new, weeks-old believers respond? Would they wither? Would they quietly sneak off, acting like they had never met with that assembly of strange Christians? They didn't do that. They received the word. And it stuck. They weren't like the rocky soil that Jesus talked about where the plants sprung up but had nowhere to go with their roots and so they died quickly. And, and they weren't like the, 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 the plant that jumped up but then was choked by a weed that Jesus talked about. Uh, nor were they like the, the seed that was plucked up by the bird, didn't even have a chance to, to, to grow at all. They know that the word of God went into them. They received it. It took root and it grew in the face of extreme affliction. And they did this with joy. The scripture says and that, that they received with joy. If you go back to, to Thessalonians, you'll see that they had received the word with joy. Oh, have I not read that text to you yet? Oh, let me read for you 1 Thessalonians, second half of verse 5 to verse 7. And it starts with, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Paul's going to explain that later. Verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And so they received it with joy. They received it in the face of great difficulty and affliction, but they did it with joy. You know, when someone does something with joy, it makes all the difference, doesn't it? It changes everything, doesn't it? It's only now that I'm a parent that I realize this as much as I do realize it because I remember my mother reminding me to mow the lawn and me complaining and dragging my feet and making excuses and trying to find other things to do while the lawn just grew longer and longer and made it harder for me when I finally did have to mow it and me just moaning and complaining about it. Did you ever do that? Moan and complain about anything? How unpleasant, how difficult that makes everything. The, the, the trick there is that it makes it harder for the person that's complaining. It makes it harder on yourself. You know, my complaints to my mother were the fullest expression of rebellion that I dared to exhibit. Because standing behind my mother was my father. And I didn't complain to him when he said mow the lawn. So I knew just how far I could take my rebellion. 
and I took it that far. You see? I think often our complaints are what's are, are, are micro bursts of rebellion. They're, they're the furthest we dare to take our rebellion. And yet here, they're not just like, well, I guess I have to be a Christian because what else, what other chance, choice do I have? No, they're seeing Jesus and, and his salvation and they're, they're saying, you know, even if we do face this affliction, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me, that ever could happen to me. Thank you, God, for your salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Much like I think our expression here is we're worshiping God and praising his name with all of our hearts. And this is really a miracle, dear friends, because they receive the word in difficulty, but they do it in joy despite the difficulty. You know, shouldn't we have a party every time we see a right response to our Lord Jesus? Shouldn't we just break out the streamers and the party blowers and the hats and have a a party and celebrate with, with joy? Their joy was to the point of making them examples. Well, how how did it make them examples? The Scripture tells us that we know that Christians are going to face many difficulties in this life. That's a major theme in the New Testament. It just is. In this life, with the world turned upside down, when we're faithful to Christ and respond rightly to Him, there's going to be some difficulty along the way. Jesus, our Lord, says the same. He says that if the world mistreated Him who is our head, certainly they will mistreat his servants, right? But here's the thing. Being mistreated by the world because of Jesus is actually a sign of God's saving love and power. It really is. Don't the disciples rejoice in Acts chapter 5 because they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus? Don't don't they rejoice? And, And didn't Paul wear on his body the scars he accumulated because he testified to Jesus Christ? And wasn't that wasn't that what he would boast in? Say, I belong to him. Look at these scars I bear for his sake. And didn't our Lord himself endure the suffering and shame of the cross because of the joy that was set before him? And so you see, when the Thessalonians suffer because of their right response, when they suffer because of their right response to Jesus, they actually become examples of what it means to follow Jesus. And that is a glorious thing. They become examples along with the disciples and along with Paul of what it means to follow their Lord joyfully even in suffering. Here's the point. Don't be a reluctant, complaining Christian. Don't look at all of your affliction and suffering and, and, and just cast yourself into despair. Be joyful that there's, that there's a way that you can know the suffering of your Lord better. And yet you, in that, you'll know his grace all the more. Put aside complaining. There is suffering in the Christian life. There just is. Don't resent it. 
when it comes, embrace the opportunity to know your Lord better. And as you do, you will become an example to us that will help us understand what it looks like to be his disciple and to follow him and to bring him glory. As you follow the Lord joyfully in suffering, you help us, you build us up, you make us more like him. You see? Every right response to Jesus is a reason to celebrate. We looked at those first two. Now let's take a look at another way that we can see why we ought to celebrate the right response to Jesus. Because word gets out. Word gets out. You know, it's hard to keep a good deed quiet. Some of you may not feel that way. You might feel like, I've been serving in obscurity for years and no one ever honors me. Hold on a second. You probably also have this experience where you were, went to do a good work and you tried to keep it secret and you tried to keep it quiet. But you know, somehow, some way, word got out. Word about your act of kindness. And, and it came back to you from someone you didn't expect. And you all of a sudden heard that they knew what you had done. And they were either thanking you or encouraging you. And It's hard to keep a good deed quiet. Why? Because when you do a good work... It makes an impression on everyone around you. It's not normal. It's upside down in this world. Really, in the eyes of Christ, it's right side up. But to do a, a good work, to, to work in faith or to endure in hope and to labor in love, those things impress us and they change us and they're different than what people typically expect. And that's what's happening here with the Thessalonians and their response is so different. It's so right that it was impossible to keep it quiet. Do you see that? Do you begin to see here how when we have right responses to Jesus, it actually advances the gospel because you can't keep that quiet. Let me read for you 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, that's those are the regions that they're in, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, evidently, as Paul and Silas and Timothy continued on their missionary journeys and went to other places and bumped into other Christians in those other churches. They were hearing from these other believers. Hey, I heard about the Thessalonians. That's amazing. And Paul and Silas and Timothy are saying, really? You heard about the Thessalonians? Yeah, that's amazing. How they received you and turned from sin. And how they're waiting for Jesus. You see how that works? 
You see, I, I can't tell you the number of times when I'm at a conference and others come up to me and say, so-and-so from your church did this. Or I've heard about what the folks there are doing and how wonderful that is. And I've heard about, or I had an experience in church that was great. You, you may not know that. You might not ever think about that. It might not ever occur to you. But your faith in Christ, your right responses to Jesus in this upside-down world makes a huge impact. And the news goes faster and farther than you know. Now, we know this from the other side. When we hear from another church something great that God did there, how we saved someone or how we did something wonderful for the church or how people were loved there, or we hear from overseas how God planted a church, how he started or how the gospel is advancing, how it comes to us and we rejoice. It's the same thing with us. When we respond rightly to Christ, it's hard to keep that quiet. Word's going to get out. And it's going to encourage many people in Christ. And that's what was happening here. And so it's not just about the good deeds about the Thessalonians. Just like when Paul's thanking and he's giving thanks, he's not, he's not just saying thanks to them. He's saying thanks to God. It's the same thing here. This isn't just about the good deeds of the Thessalonians. This is about the power of God. Isn't that the way we interact with it when we hear about the gospel advance somewhere else from afar and we hear and we say, oh man, God's great. Look what he's doing. The same thing's true here. Now, I think part of the way we, need, we can see a, a, a lack here is, in, in this area in our lives is sometimes when we, when we look around and we say, man, God's not working at all. Or the church is just a mess. I, I just saw a, a, a poll I'm trying to think of what news source that was in. And it was the idea that it was a, the question was, if Jesus were to come back today, would he be happy with the church? And some huge percentage of people, like 80%, said no. Now, frankly, I think that question is missing the point. I think you could also say, would the Lord have been happy with the church at any point in history? And I think you'd probably say, well, I think there's real problems in the church. I think we see that through the New Testament. But that's, that's not the point. He's given his life for the church. He's given his life for the church. And so this is it's never about just, hey, you're doing really well. It's always about the good things that are happening in you point me to the love and the power of God for his church. And this is why we need to have a, a response of celebration when we see right responses to Jesus. Because it's happening all around us. And if we're dull to them and we say, well, I can't see the hand of God moving here, even though these are his people, but God's not doing anything here. Or the church at large is just ridiculous. Nothing good happening in the church. If that's all we see all the time, we're missing the biggest part. And we're lacking faith. And that's keeping us from being as useful as we can be. Oh, open your eyes and your hearts and see what God is doing. And celebrate. Celebrate every time there's a right response to the gospel of Jesus Christ here and everywhere. And let the grace of God flow through you. You will build the church in that manner. 
Now, let's break it down a bit. How specifically were, 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 were people hearing? What were they hearing about the Thessalonians? Well, we read it already, so I'm sure you're already breaking it down. But, but what they saw was this, that the, the apostles were received very well. And the apostles weren't always used to that. They weren't always received very well. In fact, in some places, the moment they began to talk about Jesus, they were persecuted. And so the fact that they were received well was huge. It was, it was huge. Now later, that principle of, of receiving those who are over you in the Lord, that's going to be talked about a little bit later on in Thessalonians. But it does apply to local leaders as well. And I want to ask you, who do you receive well? Because this is part of God's work in you. Who you receive well. And let me be so bold to say, some people that some of us received shouldn't be received as well because of their teaching. And some of us that some receive, some some people shouldn't be received at all because of what they're teaching or what they're planting, or what they're saying. And sometimes, the one who ought to be received well for the glory of Christ is not received. And that's a problem. And that's a problem in the world. See, that's how you know the world is turned upside down. Because the one who has the word and and who ought to be received is not received. But a right response to Jesus is to receive the one who is faithful with his word and to receive him fully. Now, that's obviously very bold of me to say, and I would not say it except that God's word calls us to, and you're going to see that even more later. But it's important to recognize. Who do you receive? Who do you receive well? Who do you not receive have right responses to Jesus, and we will celebrate. Not only were they celebrating how they were received by them, they were also celebrating how the Thessalonians turned from idols to serve God. Because not only were these some Jews that came to trust Christ, but the Greeks themselves, obviously they had centuries, thousands of years of the Greek and now Roman deities, these idols, and they, they, they forged their lives around them even though I'm sure many of them weren't really into it. They had to be into it because each, each city had its, its own deity and you, just, you had to go with the flow. And I'm sure some really got into it and some didn't get into it, as is the nature of humanity. But these Thessalonian Christians, when they heard the word, they turned from those idols. And that's a very big deal. That's a very big deal. In other words, they, they repented to serve God. And, and I've seen this, maybe you've seen it, I've certainly seen it in pastoral ministry over the last 20 years, that, that there are many times when, when I hear someone saying they want to come to Christ, and they start off with good intentions, but when they, when they look back at that thing that they have to turn from, and most of the time it's an immoral relationship, things become fuzzy for them. Am I really going to turn from that, that thing that I want so badly and basically worship? Now, here the Thessalonians were 
turning. And, and that's just critical for us because everywhere we see repentance, dear friend, we ought to be celebrating because the repentance of sin is a right response to Jesus. And all of us have needed to repent to come to Christ, and all of us still wrestle with sin that we need to repent of. And so all of us can know that from time to time we're going to need to repent. And when we do, it is glorious, it is precious. And so when you see someone care group and they're repenting from sin, celebrate, rejoice, get up and dance, bless God, because that's right side. And then finally, Paul's celebrating because not only did they receive the hymn and, and the other apostles well, and not only did they repent from their sin, but they also, they also were anticipating the return of Jesus. And they had that in mind. In fact, this is an area that's going to need some correcting in the Thessalonian church. They, they've got this a little bit wrong, and some fears arise, and Paul's going to speak to that. It's going to be very helpful to them. But here's the thing. He doesn't, uh, just like with the Corinthians and the gifts of the Spirit, he doesn't jettison it and say, you know what, you're abusing this. Don't even think about it. No more for you. He doesn't do that. Instead, he says, he commends them that they're waiting for Jesus and longing for him. Oh, don't you long for Jesus? Don't you long for him to return? Don't you desire for him to return? As the days go on, as you get older, shouldn't you desire that all the more? Don't you desire that all the more? What a great principle. What, what, what a thing we have to keep in mind. Oh, this Christian life is not all about right now. It's about what's to come. And that hope gives us endurance and holds us in place, holds us steady. And it's something to rejoice about. Whenever we see steadfastness in hope, as Paul calls it here, we should be celebrating. We should be rejoicing those right responses to Jesus. Well, every right response to Jesus is a reason to celebrate. Let me read for you 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Go back to verse 1 in closing. We're going to close with the greeting. And there's a lot to see in this greeting, but I mainly want to point out one thing. Let me read it for you. Paul, Silvanus, which is Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. Now, what we know from history is that in Greek writing and even in Hebrew writing, there was typically a greeting of some kind. And a lot of times it would be something along the lines of greetings and salutations or greetings and peace. Paul takes that traditional greeting and he marks it with Jesus Christ. And he says to them, grace and peace. You see, he wants grace for them. He wants them to know grace. And, and in all of this, in, in all of his thanksgiving, in all of his, in, in all of his exhortation later, he wants them to know the grace of God above all. 
because that's what he's celebrating in them. The grace comes to us through grace of God comes to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's something we didn't deserve. It's something we could never have attained to. It's something that we could have never made a persuasive argument strong enough to say, I'm a good candidate for you to show favor to God. I'd be a good one for you to save. Choose me. We could never have done that. And so when God gives you faith in the Lord Jesus, you know grace has come to you. And if you have not yet trusted him, now is the day of salvation. God will give you grace as well. In closing, I just want to give you an idea, an assignment, if I could, for this Wednesday night. A lot of what I've talked about here, the idea of celebrating right responses to Jesus, is what we often call evidences of grace or, or celebrating and enjoying evidences of grace, where we see the grace of God at work. We have to become good at identifying that and, and enjoying it. And this Wednesday night, we're going to have our all-church care group, and something that, that we need to do this Wednesday night is to come prepared to encourage one another. So Toward the end, you're going to be in your care groups. You're going to have an opportunity to just honor one another in that environment. And so begin thinking now of ways that you see right responses to Jesus for people in your group so that you can come Wednesday night and you can celebrate those right responses and enjoy them. And by doing that, build up the church. We're all going to celebrate God's grace to us. I'm going to pray here in just a moment and then give the benediction. I just want to remind our guests that we do have a reception for you right after the meeting, second floor, the room behind the fireplace. And also, if anyone here would like prayer, whether for healing or however God is working in you, if you'd like prayer, if you want to come and place your trust in Jesus, there'll be a few pastors up here at front. Others may come and help us. We would love to talk with you and pray for you. The Lord will meet you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for working in us. Thank you, God, for working in one another. Thank you that there are hundreds of ways, thousands, that we can see right in this room right responses to Jesus. And, oh, God, cause us to celebrate, rejoice for your glory, for your glory, we ask. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.